Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity to get to study and look into the Word of God. We're thankful for each one of you that listen. We hope and pray that the Word by the Spirit of God could be a help to you, a strength to you in the battle and war that you're in in life. We've been looking at Elijah. We've got uh, to chapter 19 in the book of 1 Kings. And last time we saw Elijah, he fled for his life from the face of Jezebel and Ahab uh, in fear of destruction of him through the hands of the enemy and no doubt in a place of uh, depression, in a place of doubt, in a place of fear for he had just worked all these mighty works. God had just brought rain back and yet there was no turning by the corporate nation of Israel They were still in rebellion, and all that that work had produced was a greater hatred for the man of God and a threat to take his life. So Elijah's left in a bad place um, emotionally, and you know, that's the way that man is. Certainly God knew what he was saying when God said that Elijah was a man of like passions as we. He thinks and he feels just like me and you think, and just the way me and you feel. And as he looked at the condition of the nation and of the people, uh, as he looked at what God had wrought through him uh, to speak to these people, and yet they wouldn't turn and they wouldn't repent, and they had seemingly even less respect. And, And I'll say this, it wasn't even seemingly less respect. They hated him more now than they did before because of the works that God had done through him. So Elijah says, God, it's better for me just to die. And I realize how easy it is for us today to think that, to be discouraged, to say there's no use, this is a waste of my time. But the truth is, God's working according to his will. God's using Elijah, though Ahab and Jezebel are not going to turn, yet Elijah is working the works of God. He is following God's will and God's commandment, and he's right where God wants him to be. And God's going to encourage him in this. There's times that the gospel brings great redemption and salvation and rejoicing in the hearts of men, and there's a great revival and turning to God in it. And that's wonderful when we get to experience a a time like that. But there's times that the gospel, the same gospel, the same preaching, the same Spirit of God, there's times that it's rejected, People turn their backs on it. People refuse to hear it. It brings a greater hatred upon you, upon uh, the one that brings the message, upon the one that's testifying, the one that's witnessing the Word of God. It brings a hatred upon that person. And we say, well, what's even the purpose? Well, the purpose is this, that the Word of God is either going to be a savor of life unto life or a savor of death unto death, But know this, the work of God's going to be accomplished whether man ever moves or not. And really, it's not about whether man ever moves or not for you and I. It's worth serving God and accomplishing His will and His way. God's doing the moving. God's going to do the judging. God's going to do the destroying. God is sovereign in all of His ways 
and all things are under his control. Now, certainly, that is the truth. But when you mix in a man and his mind, his ego and his pride, and his desire, his love, I believe Elijah had a love for the nation of Israel, and he wanted them to turn. And when they're not going to turn, he's sad. And he says, God, it's better for me just to die than to be here because I'm not doing anybody any good whatsoever. Well, God's going to feed him. He's going to give him two meals. He's going to give him water. And Elijah's going to go 40 days on that meal. And he's going to go to Horeb, the Mount Horeb. That's verse 8 of chapter 19. Now, Mount Horeb, that's Mount Sinai. This is where God met with Moses and gave the law. This is where the burning bush was that God spoke to Moses. This is a place where God's met with man before. And it doesn't say that God directed him to go unto Horeb. I don't know whether he went there by the direction of God. He could have. Then again, he may have went there on his own accord, thinking God's met with us here in the past. He'll meet with me here again if I make this journey. But he travels to Horeb, and we'll pick up there in verse number 9. And I'm going to read several verses here. We're going to try to look at all of those together. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So I realize we, we looked at verse 9 and 10 a little bit last time, but Elijah's going to go to the mount and dwell in a cave, and God's going to ask him the question, what, what are you doing here? What is your purpose for being here? Certainly, when Elijah was uh, with the people, when he's ministering the word of God, he's being a benefit, he's working the works of God. But you know, here in the cave, in the mount, in a place of sorrow, in a place of doubt, in a place of sadness, he's, uh, he's not being of any benefit to anyone whatsoever. So God says, Elijah, what, what are you doing here? And Elijah's answer, and it's a very true answer, 
Israel had forsaken the covenant of God. They were not going to Jerusalem. They were not offering the sacrifices that God commanded. They were not keeping the feast that God had commanded them to keep. They were not serving God as God had told them to serve. They had set up as a nation two golden calves, and there they resorted to worship. And uh, that's what they called their God. But not only that, they had turned to sin and they were breaking the very commandments of God Almighty, giving no thought to what God had said. They had taken the altars that were dedicated to God and we know that there were some that was left that still served God and they had altars separate from these golden calves where they went to serve God. Well, any place that was dedicated to God's service, they cast them down and destroyed them. And every prophet, so that's what he says here, they have slain thy prophets with a sword. Every prophet and every man that would stand and testify and speak the word of God, every one that would try to instruct the others out of the word of God, they were hunted down and killed because they were in opposition to the lies that the government was spreading. They were in opposition to the idols that the people were worshiping and serving. They were, uh, they were standing upon the truth and they had to be removed. So they killed all the prophets that they could get a hold of. So certainly, this was a time of great evil, of great rebellion, of great rejection of the Lord God of hosts, the God of heaven and the earth. And Elijah says, what's the purpose of me going on any farther? These people, they've committed all these sins. They've broken all these commandments. They've done all this evil. What purpose is there of me of going to speak with them anymore because they are not going to turn to the word of God? They've not turned. They're not going to turn. Why should I go on any farther? Now, God's going to speak to Elijah here. God's going to answer Elijah. And the Bible says, the Lord says, come out on the mount and stand before me. And God sends a mighty wind. Now, a wind, you know, you think of a wind, a hurricane wind, a tornado type wind, I don't know whether it was like either one of those or not. I know what the Bible says, that it rent the rocks, rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. God sent a wind that broke rocks in pieces and rent through the mountains. Now you talk about a mighty, powerful wind. God's going to display His power in the wind. And yet, yet, the Lord was not in that. God's going to send an earthquake. Now you think about the earth, the most uh, uh, stable and steadfast thing that there is, the earth, as far as naturally speaking, it's that that we dig down and build great structures in. It's that that's steady and sturdy and unmovable by the power of man. And God's going to send an earthquake that's going to shake even the very foundations of the mountains that Elijah is standing on. 
It's that that causes not a small portion, but the earth to quake. And the Lord's not in the earthquake. And then a fire. I don't know what kind of fire this was either, but we know that God is a consuming fire, one of great power and strength. And God's going to send a consuming fire through the mountains. And the Lord was not in the fire either. Now these these displays, these are great displays of God's power. And I I believe that uh, these were wonderful and fearful and amazing to see. And this was God showing Elijah, look Elijah at the power that I contain. Look at what I'm able to do. Recognize who you're speaking with and who is speaking to you. I'm not a man like you are. I'm not limited like you are. I've got all power in heaven and in earth, and I can do as I please. I believe God could reveal that through these works. But you know, Elijah knew the Lord wasn't in these. It was through none of these means that God chose to deal with man. There can be a great hurricane that causes great destruction with wind and with flooding through the rain. There can be a great earthquake that causes great destruction and death. There can be volcanoes even that cause earthquakes and that bring forth lava and great consuming fires and that everything that they touch is utterly destroyed. But you know, none of those things cause man to turn to God. None of those things cause man to consider in his mind how little that he is and how guilty that he is before God. But I believe this is always the mindset of man after God would allow one of these great calamities to come is we're going to build it back and we're going to build it back better, and we're going to build back stronger. We're going to build it back greater than it ever was before. So none of these things speak to the heart of man to get the attention. But after the fire, there was a still, small voice. So the meaning of those words, still, is quiet or calm, and small is crushed or thin. So after all of these great displays, and if you'll have it, loud displays that Elijah sees, the way that God chooses to speak is through this quiet, calm, crushed voice. This that this doesn't look like God. This doesn't sound like God. When you're talking about God, that sits on the throne of heaven, that's over all things, you think of great displays of 
power, great displays of authority, great wondrous means, the lightning, the thunder, the fire, the earthquake, the storms of heaven, the, the, the mighty winds that God can blow, the waves that God brings. You think of these displays of mighty power and yet that is not the means that God chose to deal with a heart of man, but he chose a still small voice, something that does not resemble God in the mind of man at all. And yet, that is how God works. And Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah, it's not going to be the way you think. It's not going to be through a great army. Remember Gideon. It's not going to be through a great army that God raises up. It's not going to be through great power and great might and great military strength. It's not going to be through a, a, a great general coming up with the best strategy for fighting this battle, but it's going to be by the Spirit of God that the victory is going to be won. That's the way it is in the spiritual battles today. We might have great credentials we might get a preacher with great credentials. He might have a great authority voice. He might be able to speak wonderfully. But none of those things are going to save people. Neither is great calamities that's going to come upon their life. The means and the method that God chose to speak to man is through a still small voice. Now I say this. This still small voice... I believe here, and God speaks in different ways through the book, but right here in the context of this scripture, it is the absolute opposite of the displays of power that God shows in the fire, in the wind, and in the earthquake. It's the opposite. Those things you expect God to be in mightily, but God was not in them. And Elijah had the discernment to tell the difference. A lot of people today, they have no discernment to tell whether God's truly in it or not. They see a thundering voice. They see a great mighty show of power. They see the flesh of man and the emotion of man worked up and they automatically say, well, that's the Lord. Well, Elijah witnessed a great fire, a mighty wind, and an earthquake and Elijah had the discernment to say, God's not in any of this. Though God brought it on, God was not speaking in the midst of it. It's a still small voice, one that you've got to incline your ear to hear one that you've got to pay attention to, to notice. It's something that could easily be overlooked and something that is overlooked so often today, the Word of God and the proclaiming of the gospel. That's what God chose to save man. And in Romans chapter 1, this is so familiar to us. We know this verse probably by heart. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now Paul was mocked, made fun of. He was hated and despised. He was imprisoned and eventually beheaded for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it, though they make fun of me. I'm not ashamed of it, though they hate me for it. And I'm not going to back up from it, though they kill me for it, because I know this, that this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is the power that God chose to bring man from the darkness of sin into the light of the glorious gospel of the Son of God. The gospel's the means of bringing man to redemption. It's not in a fire, a thundering, an earthquake, or a wind. It's in the word and the preaching of the word of God. And it's this gospel that Paul's not ashamed of. In Romans chapter number 10, verse number 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How does man come to a place of faith that he's born again? By hearing. Hearing the word of God. That's the way man is going to be delivered. That's the way man is going to be saved. That's the way God is going to speak to man. And you know, people say, well, if God sent lightning and thunder on this person, they would believe. If God would just get a hold of them and shake them, they would believe. If God would send a great consuming fire, if God would send an earthquake, if God would send a mighty wind their way, then surely these people would believe the gospel. Now all those are displays of the power of God. They show God's power over the nature and over mankind. They do do that. And I agree with that completely. They do do that. But that does not bring man to salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. God has power over nature. God has power over life. God has power over the earth. He has power over time. He can even roll the clock backwards. He did that in battle. He rolled the clock backwards for Hezekiah. And yet, none of those things does God use to speak to the heart of man. God uses the gospel to speak to the heart of man. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, very familiar here as well. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So though man comes to places of great wisdom, great understanding, and great knowledge, you know, none of that higher learning brings man to redemption. None of that uh, education will bring man to God and to salvation. And I'm not knocking any of it. The more you can get, the better you are, I believe. But that does not bring man to salvation. That brings man to a place 
that he boasts in himself and in what he knows. No, this is, this is the way God saves man. The foolishness of preaching. That's what God chose. Well, I don't like preaching. Well, they don't like preaching. God's going to have to do something else because they're not going to come to preaching. Then there's no hope whatsoever for their life. And if they are saved before they leave this world, they're going to come through preaching. That's what God chose to do the work. And this is why. God hath chosen, this is 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. I want to go down a verse. That no flesh should glory in his presence. It's not by power or by might that man can take credit for anything that's done. But the gospel is the means of salvation and redemption for man. And it's weak and foolish things so that God gets all the glory for the work. No, there is no glory reserved for mankind in any part of this. And so God speaks to Elijah in a still small voice. Now this is the God of the heaven and the earth. This is the God that sends hurricanes and rains and we've seen some in the last couple months that when I see the destruction that's brought, it absolutely astounds me that so much water fell out of a cloud in such a short amount of time. It's astounding to me. We had, we had a situation right here in our neck of the woods where I was sent to work and look and I could not by looking, understand how that rain could fall that fast and that hard and cause that amount of damage in just a short amount of time. It's astounding. But that didn't bring anybody that I know of to an altar of repentance for salvation. That spoke to God's power and what God's able to do in a moment but that did not draw man to salvation. But this gospel draws man to salvation. This still small voice, and there's something to be said there as well, easily overlooked, easily missed, and thought very little of. It's the loud voices that get heard. It's the ones that make the most racket. That's the ones that get the most attention most of the time. When Pilate had the Lord Jesus and was trying him there, it was the people and their loud cries and their loud uh, voices saying, crucify him. And the Lord Jesus was speaking to him. You can say in a still small voice, he was one man's voice speaking, I believe, in a normal tone with Pilate. Pilate knew he wasn't guilty. Pilate knew in his heart that this man was a just man and not worthy of death, and yet the loudness of the voice. How often do people overlook the voice of the gospel, which is the voice of God, to look at the world and the pleasure of the world. So often it's the world that's heard and God that's ignored. Well, that doesn't change God in the least bit. In Hebrews 12, 18, we've not come to Mount Sinai. 
to the place of fear and trembling, to the place of threatening, to the place of fire, to a place of judgment and wrath. But we've come to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the means that God chose to speak with mankind. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now this still small voice that Elijah heard uh, while he was overlooking here, I don't know if he heard words. I don't know if God said, Come out and speak to me. I don't know if he could understand if he just heard the whisperings of a voice and said, there's God speaking. I'm going to go out and speak to him now. I don't know how it worked. But God recog- or Elijah recognized that that was God passing by and it was time for him to go out and speak. But notice what he does. He wraps his face up in his mantle. Elijah's got enough sense to know that he's not going to be able to go out there and look on the God, the holy God of Israel. Moses, Moses hid his face from God when God was speaking to him. That's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, there's the seraphims flying around the throne of God. They got six wings and with two of them, they've got their face covered, unable to look on the holiness, the righteousness, the the power and the glory of Almighty God. Elijah recognizes this and he wraps his face in his mantle and goes out to speak with God. Now you talk about humbleness and we talked about Elijah in prayer just Uh, a few studies ago that he's on his face and his head's between his knees. He's not looking up to heaven. Well, here he's going to wrap his face and go out to speak with God knowing that he is unworthy and unable and unfit to look on the face of Almighty God. And he's going to ask him a second time the same question that we've already looked at and covered. And in verse 14, Elijah is going to answer the exact same answer that he gave the first time. They've stoned, they've killed the prophets, they've thrown down your altars, they forsook the covenant, and I'm the only one left, and now they want to kill me too. So Elijah's still in the same place of worry, of fear, And God is going to reason with Elijah here. He's going to speak with him. God's going to give him the word of God, the encouragement to go onward. And we'll we'll look at it next time. But just as a thought, God's going to say these words. Elijah, they're not going to turn. But don't worry. Don't fear. Don't fret. Don't doubt. Those that won't turn, judgment is swiftly coming. And Maybe that's where we'll stop uh, for this week. I thank you for listening. Hope the word's been a help to you. Uh, maybe, maybe next time we'll um, get down through verse 18 and then we'll be introduced to Elisha. So finally, we'll get to see Elisha make his appearance, his first appearance in the scripture. 
But I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this study. I hope you have. Hope you've been able through the Holy Ghost to see things and think about things that you've never seen or thought about before. And, uh, you know, if if you see something that I don't see, that I don't mention, you can share them with me. There's an email address. You can email me. Many of you may know me personally. You can call me. Um, if you'd like. But we love you and everyone. Hope the Word of God's a help to you. We pray that God blesses you with a wonderful rest of the week. And Lord willing, we'll be back to study with you next week. Thank you. We love you. Pray for us.